spectacular. Is there a Schaefer Hall here? Schaefer, it's time for your audition. Yeah, that love and tenderness. Love I don't know if unconditional is helpful because I feel like there's always conditions. Like if somebody stabbed me, would I still be loving and tender? I hope not. I hope I would at least have the balls to stab back before I got nice. Night has blanketed Austin, Texas. The limestone has turned from yellow to sunset pink to the bone white of the moon. The bats have vacated their beds to go about their daily chores. And here I sit on Matthew's back porch, ready to bring you episode 166 of One Magical Hour, a Matthew and Schaefer podcast spectacular got some exciting things for you today <laughs> uh, it's gonna be a lot of minutiae today i think a lot of uh a lot of uh what matthew told me is is not therapy but a lot of what i treat as therapy is close as i get to therapy these days at least until i finally seek professional help uh here so so get ready for that. And first, we will welcome the man you know him, you love him. Wikipedia is his source, of course. He's just going to, every now and then, maybe blowhole an opinion. He's a martining mystiker, and he's the pride of Tarzana, California. He's Matthew Rampy. Don't stop thinking about the podcast. Don't stop. It'll soon download. It'll download better than before. The podcast is on. Podcast is on. I did that in a weird key. I don't know. I'm sorry. I'm sorry to Fleetwood Mac. Just shake it up a little bit. Um... Hey, do you remember when that was? What? What? Well, let me ask you. Let's do uh, Schaefer. Have you ever wondered, uh, Schaefer? Do you, what? What does that song remind you of? It reminds me of the uh, Clinton administration. The Clinton administration. That's right. And the Clinton campaign and the Clinton victory of '93. And it was, it was a time when, uh, you know, the baby boomers were taking the reins and. God, there was so much like promise for the future that and it was also around about that same time with that um, that Pepsi ad with the with the Van Hagar song was on right now. You know, man, things were changing in the nineties. You know, fast forward thirty years. <laughs> I'm a huge fan of a lot of Fleetwood Mac songs, but that's never been one of them. So I didn't really didn't mind. When it was co-opted as, you know, well, I've by just, some politicians. You know, in my 
I I study for the podcast. I've read half of an article here on Billboard about the about this very subject. You know, I guess I had roasted most of the article. The article's just very short. It's basically just saying that like uh it's it's quoting his chief strategist Paul Begala. Paul Begala it sounds like he should, he should have like a bagel shop, right? <laughs> um it was just it was just one of Bill and, and Hillary's favorite songs. Uh, we had grown up with the dreams of he had grown up with the dreams of becoming a musician, and he loved that band. They they want him they wanted him to use something a little more um, current, and he was like, nope. And then boy, that song encapsulated that song encapsulated everything. Begala tells Billboard. He started insisting that we play it at every rally. He just loved it. He also loved that Garth Brooks song, We Shall Be Free, but he settled on Don't Stop because of the message, which, whew, I mean, I'm glad he went with the Fleetwood Mac rather than the Garth Brooks. Yeah. It's a good, you know, that is what you want, or what I want my politicians to be doing, is thinking about the future and how we can best serve it. Well, this and this was the concept of future preference uh some of the implication was that the future belonged to the baby boomers his concept of bush was that he was a good man but his time had come and gone um boy this really ties in with something i want to talk about later but i'm not i don't want to jump to it i'll, I'll bring it back up i i don't know i i um i really phoned it in this week with the parody uh, you know, sometimes I I like rewrite a song, but uh, this was this was one that had just come to me a few weeks ago, and I had written it at the top of the sheet. It's Don't good. stop Who's thinking about the, the podcast, and, and I mean that's uh, obviously what we're doing, what we're hoping that the listeners do. We do think about I, the podcast all the time. I'll tell you, um, I'll tell you who thinks about the podcast is, uh, and this guy probably needs. Probably needs a producer title at this point, <laughs> um, a co-producer title. Nicholas, Nicholas got at us. Hey, it's a got at us segment. I was trying to get the uh, robot going here for the segment intro. Oi, Nicholas, he got at us. Get at us. Um, where, where do people get at us? Um, do we still have the email address? You just email Schaefer directly at uh Yeah, SchaeferHall at Hotmail.com, that's fine. Gmail. Gmail, yeah. SchaeferHall at gmail.com. Yeah. Get at us. Uh Nicholas got at us with a correction. Or uh it wasn't so much a correction, but like it was something that we did, did I say on the podcast if we talked about this before? Uh blowing rainbows up your blowhole. Yeah, I think we realized that uh the phrase "blow and smoke up your ass," which we wait, realized which, that we had in fact. Which, which wait, based on what we learned, are we blowing smoke up their ass right now, or <laughs> or not, or we're not blowing smoke up? I Listen, know, are they dead? Or we're here, episode one sixty six. We are not blowing smoke up your ass, dear beloved listener. Uh, I just like to quote Nicholas because you know I like to quote guys, Paul Begala. Nostradamus, Nicholas. Um, despite your comments to the contrary, episode 165 is a treasure. And um, 
I've listened to it and I tend to agree with him, but for some reason, after 165, we were both, maybe more you so than I, were thinking it was the worst episode we had ever done. I was convinced. I was convinced. I actually reached out to Matthew about maybe not running the episode. Yeah, yeah. Re-recording it. Yeah, the next day. I have never done that before. You were like, ah, let's... The implication was let's scrap it and yeah. just re-record just 165. Just entirely scrap that one. Which would have been a huge waste of Jameson's time. <laughs> no, <he had laughs> which fun. is fine. He had fun no matter what. Listen, th- th- that's what this podcast is about. It's about wasting time. Jameson's time particularly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I mean, he's an executive producer, emeritus. So. Emeritus. Um, so why do you think we thought it? Why did you think it was so bad? I just, I like, and in retrospect, it was entirely me. I wasn't, I wasn't feeling well mentally and then later physically. And I was just convinced that it was negative. My, that was my big concern was that it was too negative and that, you know, without bringing up any of the specific things we talked about. Oh, I'm about to bring them all up. So, but go ahead. You you, you speak in generalizations, and then I, I I'm the details guy. I, I get uh, into the nitty gritty. I was go just ahead. like, man, I don't want that. You know, I don't want that to be out there in the world. I don't want it making people feel bad, and I don't want you know, I don't want that to be our message. You know, uh, but, but I didn't. But wait, when you re-listen to it, yeah, you realized we weren't. We weren't no. putting out any negative message. We weren't. We weren't. Yeah. That's exactly. You got very, you said it yourself. You were clutching <laughs> your pearls. I was clutching my pearls. Yeah. Okay. I, I thought that was interesting. <laughs> um, I know that we are working in a framework of amplifying the right messages. Yeah. And I brought up the topic of legislating drag shows, and I had some things to say about it. And you immediately were wanting to shut it down. Yeah, I was just, I was so mad about the fact that they were doing it and just like... Okay, you weren't mad at me for bringing it up. No, no, not at all. It was just, no, it was just the whole, the culture wars just had me down, man. Okay. Like, and I was just I like, dig it. Okay. the only sure. way to deal with this, because, you know, we're never going to change anybody's minds. Yeah, but we ended up having a, a, an enlightening talk about yeah, it, right? Yeah, we did. And it's... that thing that Jameson brought up was interesting. Yeah. And, um, yeah. But then that was all, there was also the Paul. We I, ca- I cast a Paul over the listenership <laughs> by suggesting that Jameson shoot the neighbor's dog. I can't, don't even say that again. <laughs> <laughs> he was making a joke, of course. Matthew likes dogs just fine. No, 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 no. I'm a well-wisher to dogs in that I don't wish them any particular harm. I, I am not a dog lover. And me saying, uh, shoot that neighbor's dog, I know that people... Okay, I know that upsets people. But, th- it, but isn't that fun to say on your podcast sometimes? Especially when you don't know how joking i am about it and that it made you and everybody else so very uncomfortable yeah i mean you know and then like and then wrapping that thing up with the new york times article about bros okay so, saying shitty stuff on their podcast and well i want to come clean here in that i brought that content to the table 
And I thought it might make you a little uncomfortable. I I will say I was maybe trying to just push you out of your comfort zone. Yeah, a it made bit. me defensive. And it was like par excellence. Yeah. <laughs> um. Okay. But, and it's so. But, and I'm so mad at myself for letting that get to me because that is a stupid article. It is making generalizations about sweeping people. Sweeping generalizations. It is not. Yeah. It does not. We do not say bad things about our girlfriends on this show, which seemed to be the main problem with that with that person's main issue with podcasts by men. You could cast a lot of stones at this show, but like misogynistic is not one of them. Yeah. Uh, toxic masculinity, like it's not even masculine. <laughs> yeah, well, I mean, I start the show out with a little song parody each time. How masculine could yeah. that be? Often, we I, are we are really the antithesis of what she was talking about in that article. The absolutely what they were talking about in that article. Um, what? Yeah, like I say, whatever. It was stupid of me to let that get get my goat, and I did. And that's I was mad at myself about but that too. Let's but let's dig one level down. We we were also rattled because we had started recording the podcast again, and well, we mentioned it. My internet was not working perfectly. Thanks again, Spectrum. Um, I will say though, Spectrum is saving our bacon. Maybe at our new. Is that right? AT T's gotten bupkis there. Anyway, um, bupkis, you say? Yeah, uh, like they offered me like a high speed DSL that gets like six meg upload speed, <laughs> and I said sixty, and she said no six. That ain't gonna cut it. And I said that's not gonna work. And then there's this like five. A- you can get like a five G hotspot thing that gets up to allegedly a hundred meg, but. Ooh. That seems like it's cooking your innards too, right? I don't That's know. a lot more megs. Um, yeah, but like we're accustomed to, like at Springdale we have three hundred. You guys got a fire hose, but, but and three hundred is is like C when it if it's A, B, and C. What the, what yeah. they're offering these days, the three hundred that's the like yeah. mid low <laughs> anyway. Six. Um, Surely you just. So, might as well we, get a we, phone uh, we, makes that noise. Yep. We were shot out of a cannon and we started the podcast and then the internet was <laughs> fucking up. And then we were rattled and you had to do the thing again. Yeah, I anyway, did. I, I, in general, doing it wrong in general in my life, if I make mistakes, I want to get over them quickly and that, but I want to scrutinize them for what I can learn from them. Um, and so I'm just trying to do that here and, but we didn't really make a mistake because it ended up being, uh, you know, it had that real feel, I think that we're going for. Yep. It definitely had like a, an energetic beginning because there was so much chaos going on and then it, and then it kind of went south a little bit. There was a big dip and then it nosed up at the end. It had like a narrative, uh, it had narrative flow, had practically. Practically had a plot. I I don't think you should wear your pearls here anymore. I'm I occasionally. Should, I think you should leave your pearls at home. I'm occasionally going to clutch the pearls. Okay. Okay. I'm not. Tr- I'm not trying to push buttons. I'm really not. But that that particular thing, besides offhandedly suggesting I uh, I execute a 
a canine. What is that from? Is that some kind of eighties or nineties Saturday Night Live thing? What is Clutch the Pearls? I don't know. Is this a, one of those uh, impromptu Widom Whistles? Widom Whistles. I definitely picked that up from some like Joe Piscopo retainer. I, I, I don't think that's SNL clutching the pearls. I I, I think that I I don't know. I'm you're looking it up. I'm guessing that it predates that era. I I think that is from like. This is a wild guess, but th- I think it's from America between 1910 and 1937. You know, this is, well, I mean, yeah, of course, the the phrase is older. <laughs> That's the pronunciation in case oh, you need clutch. it. Here, set, put it up there. Clutch one's pearls. Okay. Huh. <laughs> pronounced as you would expect it to be pronounced. Yeah. We had already said it several times. Right. There's, it doesn't, it's not breaking any to uh, be in English. humorous, to be extremely or excessively shocked or appalled. Apparently, everyone at the film festival is clutching their pearls in horror over the explicit sex scenes in this new film. Is the answer Wikipedia pearl clutching? Deliberate bad faith reaction. It's done in order to exaggerate the effects and impacts said comment had. Well, I never, and all my stars are phrases you might hear a pearl clutcher say. Pearl clutching is similar to tone policing form of anti-debate tactic intended to distract from the main point of the discussion to be compared to taking a dive. Um, you aren't really hurt, but in order to provoke reaction from the official, you act like you are. Mm-hmm. With pearl clutching, one acts like a comment is overly egregious, overtly egregious in order to persuade others into thinking the comment was bad faith and malicious. It was what, did, did, it, did it give it any sort of timetable? Like, when did that come into common usage? Origin. (laughs) The phrase to clutch the pearls, also to clutch one's pearls, originated in an episode of In Living Color. Uh, What? As explained by Virginia Man television critic, and who's the joke on anyway? The Homeboy Shopping Network. I feel like this it is must be older than that. Wikipedia things that uh, is just not quite... I swear there was some comedian or somebody who and maybe it was Damon Wayans in A Living Color. Who used clutch the pearls as like a tag, as a what do you call it? A um, a uh, like, running gag. No, no like when uh, Bart Simpson says "cowabunga," a yeah, um, a catchphrase. Catchphrase, exactly. What's the catchphrase for one magical hour? Uh, something to do with uh, 
the pride of Tarzanica or the <laughs> maybe. Um, this is gonna go. We really have not discussed your your folk rock children's folk rock career in quite some time. Yeah, because it, it stems from like a one conversation that we had <laughs> privately in a bedroom one time, and now we refer to it on the podcast like it was a real thing. Yeah, that's why. The Inner Tarzana Topanga Children's Folk Festival. I mean, if you listen to the podcast, you might sort of know what we're talking about. You really but... tore it up. <laughs> it's, uh... Matthews. But it's funny that later on, then we started discussing your actual musical career in San Francisco before, you know, before you were a podcaster. Well, and it's painful to me because uh, my grandmother, who's passed, wanted me to like really make a go at my at recording my songs that I wrote for my kids, which are just little ditties, not even really songs. Yeah, you know. And uh, we—that's what this is from. We started you were gonna accompany me on the guitar and we started I, practicing a few songs and i really imagined us being a successful children's folk rock duo well, and like making a ton of money at it somewhere <laughs> in the multiverse that is very real my friend but touring meeting single moms yeah but well, i haven't been meeting single moms not you you know where that would end Drug overdose. No. That's where, that's where all successful children's folk children's stars folk go. Yeah, that's well, where it goes. You know, that's it's the creative personality. You know, it's very passionate. It's prone to addiction. You know, that's just the way it is. I think it's the kids. It's the way it is for children's folk rock. It's it's the it's the kids that are the that's trouble. True. They definitely the, can drive you. To it's the, not uh, the folk rock. It's the it's the children's drive you back to the pipe. Um. You know who uh, was kind of like an ultimate pearl clutcher? Who? Was this guy, Anthony Comstock. You ever heard of him? I have heard of him. He was an anti-vice activist. Oh. And he was the secretary of the New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. What's your source on this? He's actually, well, it's Wikipedia. Yeah, of course. (laughs) Which really gives the show a a sheen of charlatanism. When Jameson said... Wikipedia is my source, of course. That made me just so happy. Yeah, you put it right in the I show did. title. It's great. Yeah. It's great. Um, and I, your I, I listened. This is the part of the show where we talk about other podcasts. Mm-hmm. I listened to this American History podcast, The Dollop. I know I've mentioned it here before. Yeah, yeah. And man, you know what is a really common theme in american history <laughs> is history repeating itself oh yeah tell me about yeah. it yeah yeah you'll look at a time from the past where things seemed all fakakta and out of whack and then you kind of just squint and step back a little bit and then you realize oh it's the same now um yeah, so this guy Anthony Comstock was uh he was against he was trying to censor all materials that he and his other puritanical chum buddies considered obscene, namely anything remotely discussing sex publicly including birth control or mm. you know, he was against uh he was against 
uh, obscene literature, abortion, contraception, gambling, prostitution, Crunch and, the pearls. and patent medicine. It's interesting. <laughs> um, huh. It's over-the-counter, like, branded medicine. Oh, like snake oil. I guess. Yeah. Okay, well, let's go against the snake oil, but... Well, it's, it's, snake oil is just a way for Christians in America to drink alcohol. Oh, okay. You, know, oh, we're you, were taking, you weren't drinking alcohol, you were taking your medicine. Well, that's another huge theme in American history is that everybody was drunk. <laughs> whatever it was, whatever the event was, I assure you, everybody was half shithoused or mostly shithoused or <laughs> wasted. I have no doubt. I mean, this whole Civil War, everything, everything. Um Sometimes it can be referred to as comstockery. Uh, oh, pearl clutching. Meaning censorship because of perceived obscenity or immorality. Com-stockery. And that was co- coined by George Bernard Shaw, who used the term in 1905 after Comstock had alerted the New York City police to the content of Shaw's play, Mrs. Warren's Profession. Mm, what was Mrs. Warren's Profession? Do you think? It was not a new profession. It was an old, particularly old one, you think? Comstockery is the world's standing joke at the expense of the United States. Europe likes to hear such things. It confirms the deep-seated conviction of the old world that America is a provincial place, a second-rate Country town civilization, after all, full of uptight pearl clutchers. That was that was what George Bernard Shaw saw, said. Here's a, here's a quote by Comstock. Uh, Shaw is an Irish smut dealer. <laughs> like, there's these comments in here about um, a dealer in smut. The, uh, how much? How much? How much did he got rid of destruction of books and? Uh, it's 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 quoted that he he destroyed fifteen tons of books, two hundred forty eight thousand pounds of plates, printing objectionable books, and nearly four million pictures. What percentage of wow. the smut in the world do you think that that was? I, I, I like it that it's by weight. Is <laughs> um, it only a tiny bit? New York Society for the Suppression of Vice. There's one thing that human beings love: it's smut. But the. The previous episode of The Dollop that I listened to was called uh, um, The Old Bad Boys of Harvard. And it was like how Harvard began. And it was all this puritanical stuff. (laughs) And it was all this like, you know, the Puritans who founded this great nation, they, they were severe. You know, they were into like beatings and torture and like all these horrible things mm-hmm. for like perceived vices and obscenities and everything like they were so bad they weren't wanted in england you know what i mean like yeah. like england was a country that had a church and you know it was like you know it was yeah. a christian country but they weren't christian enough and these guys were like we're gonna go over here and start our own thing and Wear it was funny really intense man look like penguins but but then but then you think about what's going on now, with people in this country who want to suppress abortion, who want to suppress guys dressed like women reading books to kids, uh, I don't know. they want they want everybody 
going to the bathroom assigned at birth that you know all the things that are still just like yeah just going on same old same old everybody's wasted or half wasted yeah and there's a bunch of people wanting it to be a different way that's totally against their against nature to some degree like half in the bag and not tight would you say that (laughs) describes america (laughs) yeah you know why uh you take you know why you never take just one Baptist fishing with you? <laughs> what is that? Because you'll drink all your beer. <laughs> the implication being that Baptists police each other, and if nobody's watching, they'll drink all your beer. <laughs> uh, I can say these things because I grew up in Baptist. I'd like to just um, apologize to all the Baptists out there. No, I'm kidding. I don't care. I'm offending anybody except Schaefer. I don't want him clutching his pearls. Uh, I don't know. I'll hold on. Okay. History repeating itself. Yeah. Good times right here on the podcast. History repeating itself. Oh, another great episode of The Dollop. I actually recommend listening to this one. PG&E. Just the history of PG&E, which is the utility company in California. Oh, interesting. <laughs> Very interesting. Especially if you want to be like really depressed about <laughs> what we perceive as a country. Yeah. <laughs> uh, uh, one thing I want to highlight from that episode is that like, we do this thing in this country where we have government, supposedly, <laughs> and if if government is not doing anything else, shouldn't it be sort of regulating like public utility companies? I mean, yes. Well, it doesn't. <laughs> it doesn't, and it's all Just corrupt. The words, and the words are in there, public utility. Yeah, but it's <laughs> but, but see, that's all baloney because it's not really a public utility. No. It's a company that makes money. And, and it's, a ton it's, of money, and it's it, the, and as we know in our economic system, not naming any names rhymes with schmapitalism. Uh, <laughs> the most important thing is the bottom line, and so when you're that running, problem, when you yeah. when your when your thing is Pacific Gas and Electric, when your when your deal is like natural gas, which is dangerous, and electricity, which is also dangerous and causes you know, people to explode and burn and die. You really need some regulation because unregulated, they're just not going to take care of anything. No, they're not going to take care of their gas lines. They're, they, they, they line the gas line or no, maybe it was the water lines with this thing called chromium six. And then they were like, well, this doesn't cause cancer. And the cancer thing is pretty fun because you know your exposure, your your disease comes way after your exposure, yeah, so then yeah. the company goes, yeah, yeah. "I no, that that. wasn't us." Yeah, uh, yeah. Uh, but that but what's interesting about that PG and E episode, and it's a two parter, is that it starts with the two brothers in you know it's like Gold Rush, San Francisco, who are like, "Hey, let's get into this thing that we can light the streets with." You know, they were like blacksmith guys, mm-hmm. and they got into like, "Oh, well, the street lights." with gas cool and then it kind of it's interesting how it just spirals out from there and becomes this huge problem for california and the world really because 
the fires that have been started by PG&E failures in the last 20 years. It's fun because the episode goes from like 1847 right up to 2017, <laughs> you know, even more recent with PG&E just dropping the ball. And it's really just such a great American story of this humble beginning and then this totally foobar <laughs> presence. <laughs> It's not, it's, th- let me just say that this podcast is funner. It's more fun. <laughs> Even though those guys try to make it fun. Those guys are funny. Dave Anthony and Gareth Reynolds. Shout out. Did you get to listen to the one I sent you about the Holy Prepuce? I haven't. <laughs> I mean, it's on my list. Is this Jesus's foreskin? Yeah. Okay. Which several Go people on. claim to have currently possess. This is in the uh, Although, offending Baptists category. Where's Comstock <laughs> when you need him? Ken Jennings and John Roderick, they did have a humorous exchange, though, about, you know, Jesus was, you know, when, when he rose, right? His, uh-huh. he, he went up to heaven. So didn't the, didn't the foreskin go with him? I guess the corporeal part of that is uh, questionable, right? Is that is that part of the ascension? Like the actual is, corpus yeah. of Christ goes up? I think it is. Cause Don't you think it would be like on an episode of Quantum Leap where the body just turns all white and turns <laughs> into light? Yeah, I use something like that. But yeah. But yeah, we're just like, wouldn't the foreskin just be like maybe just a little... A little bit of white light. Oh, wait, 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 wait. In whatever box wait, you're keeping wait. the foreskin. But of course, Jesus is a Jew, and yeah. so he was circumcised. And mm-hmm. so, are we saying that Mary kept the foreskin? Some, as they some have, mothers okay, do? there's a few theories. Yeah. Okay. Some uh, a lady named Mary, but who wasn't? Well, it was a different Mary. Mary Magdalene. Not Mary Magdalene. Another Mary. Apparently, everyone. Isn't it everyone, funny how names just run in fashion? Everyone, and like, there's like 15 Jennifers. Apparently, in their class, everyone. Every female about time was named Mary. As far 30 as 30 years, tell. Ago, and there's no more Jennifers. And yeah, she uh, she said, "Oh, well, you know, this is the because uh, everybody knew it because the." The angel told them that this was the son of the son of God, right? Right. Everybody knew except for that one dickhead landlord who wouldn't let him into the. <laughs> like, wouldn't give him well, any not everybody in. was in on it. It wasn't like a text thread. <laughs> yeah. Some people in the in crowd knew. Okay. Someone who did was like, okay. Well, you know, and whether she was like. This is going to be worth something later, or this is just something well, she, I would so like. So this uh, Mary was like an assistant my, to the my book. No, she was just part of the. She was there at the party at the bris. Uh, she was there at Jesus's bris, <laughs> <laughs> which like a small I mean, crowd, and half of them were called Mary. What do they do that? You know, I mean, what do they do with it afterwards? Yeah, I don't know. What do they do with the four? And I know, I know that um, the like your mom keeps your teeth conceivably sometimes, right? Yeah. I mean, I lock of your hair. I assume, I think Amy has like a a drawer of teeth. I'm one hundred percent sure that my mother does not have my foreskin anywhere. I know that my mom has moved be very many unlikely. times between here and there, 
And she also does not have my foreskin. Let me ask you this, Matthew. I guess now everybody knows that we're circumcised. If you had the choice, <laughs> would you have kept it? Um, I definitely would have. Well, I've, I've considered this. This was like, uh, this was talked about a lot, uh, maybe 10 years ago. Yeah, or so, right? was in it. Here, here's what I think. And, and this is going to get into my theology and I've already pissed off all the Baptists. So I'm talking to the Presbyterians here. Um, I think that the, the tradition is to make your penis a little less sensitive because I think if you keep your foreskin and I don't know, but I think it's like, it feels better. You know, there's like there's okay. a more sensitive area towards the tip. Reason number one, and for so it. <laughs> and so, I think I think that there's this slippery slope of like getting obsessed with sexual desire, and so they remove it, and but it also maybe, and this is not the case for me, maybe helps you last longer in the act. Interesting. <sighs> <laughs> but it, like I say, it didn't work for me. I never last for to shit, the point, so. you know, that you know, you're talking about ten years ago when there was kind of this big discussion happening about it. Did you know we have a friend who I won't name here who was attempting to regrow his? Oh yeah, is that right? Which is like apparently there's a process where you tape it up. Okay, it's just apparently quite painful. Okay, sure. I I would I was trying that where they break your legs and make you right. like two inches taller. Sorry like, guys, boy. our listeners are like. Guys, this is the one you don't post. Where are your not last week? Where are your pearls? <laughs> yeah, I, the, you, my pearls should have been should clutched. Have clutched them. Uh, you know, we're talking about uh, people who basically are executive producers of the show. Uh, Nicholas, I can't believe I. I can't believe I just really said exactly what I think about <laughs> my foreskin or lack thereof. Go on. Also received a few emails from Dr. Hall. Oh, right. Fan yes. of the show. The train crash. This really interesting. Well, there's the train oh, crash. Did we talk yeah. about that? Well, the train crash was actually covered on Omnibus. Um, we have not talked about it yet. But this email I got from him. It, it was on our show sheet. And we were, are, we were clutching our pearls so hard. We were, so we were, we were white knuckling those pearls. This email from his from dad, I think, came today or yesterday. This morning, I ran across an interesting-looking book entitled Run, Brother, Run by David Berg. I read the book synopsis and learned that Berg's brother, a lawyer, had been murdered by Charles Harrison. Harrison was defended by the famous attorney, Percy Foreman, who got an acquittal for Harrison, even though Harrison's girlfriend testified. Is that Woody's dad? Yeah, Woody's dad. Oh, yeah. Harrelson's accomplice was committed mention reminded me uh, that we were living at the Sunset Ridge Apartments in San Antonio when Harrelson assassinated Judge John Wood at a townhouse on Broadway not far from us on May 29, 1979. Oh. Harrelson was convicted of this murder and died in prison. So, yeah, that's a... There, and there's a great miniseries podcast on that. I'll dig it up and uh, put it on, on, our Discord, on our new Discord page. Oh, cool. For... Uh, I'll dig that up. Uh, and then Dad says, goes on, so yeah, apparently that murder went down not far from where I lived in an apartment huh. in San Antonio in 1979. 
Mention of Percy Foreman and Charles Harrelson then reminded me of a murder of the murder of Sam Dehelia Jr. down in the valley. Uh, Harrelson's accomplice in the Dehelia murder was tried in the Hidalgo County Courthouse in Edinburgh around 1968, knowing that Percy Foreman and another famous defense attorney, Racehorse Ains, <laughs> great name, would be involved. My grandfather and father encouraged me to go sit in on the trial. I only attended one day, but I had an encounter with Percy Foreman, who was known for his ability to take command of the courtroom. There were not many people in the audience section of the courtroom, so I had a front row seat. Before the trial began that day, Percy Foreman walked over to the rail right in front of me. He was wearing a three-piece suit, and he had his thumbs hooked into the vest beneath his jacket. He looked at me and said, Young man, you look very familiar to me. Do I know you from somewhere? Of course, he had no idea who I was, but it was a good example of how he influenced all of the people in the room. So Wait, he said that to your dad? Yeah. <laughs> okay. Was, my dad would have been like 16 at the time. So oh, wow. Like that. That's interesting. 17. I, I'm sitting here just realizing that your dad emails us from time to time, and I never reply. What <laughs> is wrong with me? Uh, everybody's real, real busy. Grant, I'm, I'm finally going to use his first name here. Grant, I'm so sorry that I haven't been replying to your emails. I treasure them. Uh, I'm, I'm going to change. I'm going to, I'm going to make amends. And we sorry will, about that. Uh, we will revisit the train wreck. Maybe next. Train crash at Crush, Texas. America's deadliest publicity stunt. Yeah. We're going to we're gonna talk about that on the next episode because I haven't looked too deeply they, into that they topic like, they yet. Sold them in, I guess at the time, you know, there wasn't a lot of, you know, there weren't a lot of spectacles, you know. There wasn't a lot of, there wasn't Well, Super there's not Bowls, spectacles because Anthony Comstock shut them all down. <laughs> Everything worth looking at, he burned. <sighs> I had a text thread going with my dad and my brother and Alex Battles. Oh, oh wait, um, wait, wait. Real quick, cool. let's come back to that. Sure. Before we get off of Woody Harrelson's dad, did you see Woody on SNL? No. I, I did. Meant- I only watched part of it, but his monologue was a contra- filled with controversy. It was controversial. Yeah. Uh, it was did we not talk about it, it, it here? There was I, some did we? little bit of anti-vaxxy stuff going on there. Well, it was the the gist. It was a long story, and the gist was anti-vax. Wow. I love Woody. And, and you know, but love her, of course, we're, everybody has their own viewpoint in so many of these things. And none of, we're not saying that any of them are right or wrong. Except that it, it is okay for men to dress up as women and have artistic shows, but you know, uh, it was I heard about it. I didn't see it live, and then I went and watched it, and I was like, "Oh, well, that was interesting." I want to see. You know, there's. I have. You know, it's just so weird that this all has to be like in the context of these culture wars, like. If it were just Woody Harrelson 
saying... Well, Woody was making a good point. If you take it out of context of the culture wars and you watch his monologue, it makes sense. You know, and like, you know, I have African-American friends who don't want to get vaccinated. Right. And that's because... U.S. government did history. some horrible things to them of shitty in the last hundred years, and I'm so I'm like, oh, guys, I 100 percent get it. Yeah. Um. And you know, if Woody Harrison was just like, guess what, guys, I don't believe anything the government says to me, and I think you should question everything scientists say. That's kind of what he was saying. Which you know, it's or it's he was fine. A, he was at least saying that it's, maybe pharmaceutical companies until don't a pandemic have rolls around that's infecting the entire world. And killing old people that I love. Right. You know, then it becomes a problem. So, Woody, love you, man. Cut that shit out. Well, but then I guess it gets... Don't make me clutch these pearls. The the next level of that argument is, did the vaccines save anybody? They definitely... Okay. They definitely slowed things down. Yeah. If you got a vaccine, you didn't get it as bad. I think what we learned is... Unless everybody takes a vaccine, it's really it's not, not going that effective. to work. <laughs> yeah, should yeah, definitely. Yeah, I, I think that was that was my takeaway, but that's fine. Um, oh, I'm clutching my pearls. Look at my palm. Can you see the imprint of the pearls right in there? <laughs> this, is, um, this is the pearl collection. You're on a, you go, Let's go back to this text thread uh, yeah. with Alex Battles and who else? You know, uh, with my brother and yeah, I sent it to all these guys. Okay, I. At the, in the early days of high-speed internet connection, I was doing editing work, writing and editing work for a medical research company in Houston. And it was a lot of very rote stuff, a lot of, you know, cut and pasting stuff in Microsoft Word. Technical writing. Using my hotkeys, moving things around, correcting dates, adding Oxford commas where they weren't, and, you know, you know, you know the routine. Oh, yeah. And, uh, you know, pretty much stuff that I could do mindlessly with my hands, so... The high-speed internet was an amazing thing to me. And one of the most amazing things I found one day was the live stream from BBC Radio across the pond. And then every morning I started listening to BBC Five's Five Live Drive, which was their, like, rush hour, evening rush hour podcast where they went through they went through the news of the world right but you called it a podcast you mean a broadcast Sorry, yeah yeah radio broadcast yeah. i was listening to it on the internet while i was sitting at work right loved it so much and i would listen to and i got into listening to soccer games on the internet football yeah uh-huh. just <laughs> and that i find so relaxing just like the slow mention of the names the passing of the ball I love that, you know, in a British accent. Mm. Uh, and you know, I could just relax, go to sleep to that. You know, I started, so I started listening to BC all the time. Whatever happened, things moved around. I got a different job. And I stopped doing that. And then the New York Times ran an article on people who are using the BBC4 shipping forecast to, <laughs> to go to sleep. And so I, I pulled this up. It was... It's fantastic. Uh, I'll play a little bit for you, but uh, just it's it sounds it's like somebody giving you mysterious codes for something. The shipping forecast. Oh, yes, the shipping forecast. So this is all obviously England is a giant island. 
Uh, yes. A lot there. of boats coming in and out all the time. All right. Yes. So they have this, uh, you know, what was a very necessary, uh, very necessary report on like what's going on in what buoy and what bay. And now I can't find it. <laughs> uh, there it is. Cause you can't find it yet. That's all right. And now there's going to be an ad. But yeah, it was. It's really funny because like for a while there, I knew a ton of stuff about about the news in Europe, like from listening to that and like still to this day, if I get, you know, some British people in my lift car or something or British people walk into the bar and they happen to know that they're in soccer, I'll, I'll like some comment on, on hooligans not being allowed to go to Galatasaray oh, yeah. because there was this huge, was this story that just dominated the headlines in the early aughts about these soccer hooligans who had gone to an away game in Galatasaray, Turkey, and two of them had gotten stabbed, and there was this lockdown, and nobody was allowed to travel to watch football games in all of Europe for a minute. I think I remember that, yeah. (laughs) And so I'll be like, I'll be like, you hooligans aren't allowed in Galatasaray, or people will be like, how do you know about that? Funny. On behalf of the Maritime and Coast Guard Agency at 0015, today, Tuesday, the 1st of August, the general synopsis at 1800. Low, Northwest Malin, 1002, losing its identity by 1800 Tuesday. Oh, New high, expected Biscay, 1019. There's six hours of this. The area forecast for the next 24 hours. Viking, North Hutzera, That's like a warm blanket. <laughs> it's like catnip to me. It is wonderful. I think that's what, there's that Danish word, hygge. <laughs> this made me so happy. Oh, I like that. Yeah. <laughs> Speaking of apps, were we going to talk about weather apps? Oh, don't get me started. Oh. Okay, just it. Shafey's internet beefs. I had the best weather app. It was called Dark Skies. What's what's wrong with the weather apps? There is there is there a climate crisis with the weather apps? They they don't no. Well, I, they overload you with information. They're trying to jam too much information on one little, and they they're they're often trying to sell you things. This dark sky weather app was so awesome. It was so simple and gave you the information that you need and had this awesome radar that you could click and you could expand it and contract it. Yeah. You know, to where you can see the whole globe if you wanted to. Especially if you're like a middle-aged guy who's into the weather. Yes. It was so wonderful. So, and I, I, I paid for it years ago. And I loved it. It was the only weather app I used. It's like a lifetime subscription. Oh. $1,500 so, lifetime subscription. Around November of last year, we get the message, Dark Sky won't be supported after January 1st. Bought out by Apple. Oh. So Apple buys it out, rolls it into their app, completely ruins it. Well, their app is garbage. Like, their app is the biggest piece of garbage. You you know, what I've noticed is that two people standing in the same place in Austin, Texas, can have vastly different (laughs) weather forecasts on on their Apple weather app. 
my my wife will be like, oh, it looks like it's going to rain today. And then I'll look at mine and I'll be like, there's no, there's no rain for We'll put the phones right up next to each other. And it's a different forecast for the same city, the same, like the same phone subscription. We, you know, I know that there's a thing where you can like set, it can be your city, but you can set your address or something, but this is that, that I don't that that is not what I'm talking about. It's just wildly wrong. Here's what I think is happening. For some more good news on the podcast, weather is becoming less predictable. There's been a hundred years of weather science, hundred plus, however long. I don't know. I don't know the history of weather science, but you can imagine meteorology has been accelerating in the past forty or fifty years because of computers. And I think at this point, with all of the modeling available, the climate has become unpredictable enough that its weather forecasts are less predictable than they were 20 years ago. No matter how much information. No matter how much information they have. Interesting. uh, That's what I think. But that still doesn't account for. And this is I'm going to I'm raising my voice. This still does not account for why the Apple app shows you different forecasts for the same town and the same spot, different phones. And it's just like, and so then somebody's like, you, like you I should want different... update your operating system. Well, shoot your dog. <laughs> I, no. Why would I have to update my operating system just to get in a correct weather forecast? Whew. I'm glad we talked about this. I'm glad we're on the same page on this. We're, looks we're like divergent so often. Austin will get some rain for sure, but we get rain all the time. Looks like Dad might get some rain. What what app are you looking at? I'm looking at like this other one that I got. It's called You trying a new one? Weather Live. Yeah, none of these none of these made me happy though. Are any of these GD apps sponsoring the program? <laughs> no. Well, let's not mention them by name. <laughs> Dark sky, you can't get anymore. It was so awesome. I like to listen to the podcast, and then that gives me kind of fuel for the next podcast. And you said something pretty organically in a recent cast that um, that only Nicholas could find the number to, but that uh, reminded me of something that my art professors would say. Or especially this one art professor, uh, Vincent Mariani. And his whole thing was really like, you know, science is all about ripping the shroud off of mysteries, you know. It's like finding the truth, getting everything into the light. Mm-hmm. That's what science is about. Art is often about deepening the mysteries of the world. You, you were talking about either your writing or somebody else's writing and how it sort of deepens the mystery. And um, Well, I was talking I about know. creating. I was, you remember like, what you were talking about? Yeah, when I, when I do the, you know, just having a lot of inside jokes and my inside oh, jokes right. have inside jokes. And I was talking about Whittem Wittis and well, that's a, Alex talking about how oh, you yeah. read the show notes All right. not have any idea what was going on. Well, I was like, yeah, I like to... I like to deepen the mystery too. I, I've thought about that comment from that professor a million times since then. And when I make art, I it's not 
referential and it's not yeah. like exploring a topic. It really is like some suggesting people, that there are things that you don't understand. Some people complain. I've heard some people complain that here comes the train. My palms are oh. right by the train tracks. Indeed, that was. I really like it. My my grandfather was a uh, a train worker. Yeah. He he worked for the. How do you the work Atchison, on the railway? The Atchison, Topeka, and the Santa Fe. Nice. For 40 years. All the way to Philadelphia. Uh, he was mostly uh, near Seagraves and Clovis. <clears throat> but, uh, you know, that train being there reminds me of him and makes me feel like he's watching over us. So there you go, Baptist. There's a little reference to the afterlife for you. Maybe make amends. Only one way there. Jesus' foreskin. Uh, back to, oh, yeah, you're just tying it all together. Yeah, the back to, like, just, yeah, the mystery in the world. That's uh, Every now and then I'll hear somebody complain about not understanding one of my poems. Most of my poems, I think, are pretty straightforward. But some of them are quite abstract, even obtuse. Uh, and I'm always just like, you know, why can't you just like let that one be a mystery? Like, I love it when I come across a weird poem. Maybe the words together sound good, you know. Some people don't like mysteries, and it, they don't want the metaphysical, they want everything in the light. And like, you know, they're not, tell me what you're not think comfortable with. I would love liminal. to hear it, it'll probably be better than whatever weird thing I was thinking at the time. <laughs> What weird thing was Philip Levine thinking when he wrote The Simple Truth? I bought a dollar and a half's worth of small red potatoes, took them home, boiled them in their jackets, and ate them for dinner with a little butter and salt. Then I walked through the dried fields on the edge of town. In middle June, the light hung on in the dark furrows at my feet. And in the mountain oaks overhead, the birds were gathering for the night, the jays and mockers squawking back and forth, the finches still darting into the dusty light. The woman who sold me the potatoes was from Poland. She was someone out of my childhood in a pink spangled sweater and sunglasses praising the perfection of all her fruits and vegetables at the roadside stand and urging me to taste even the pale, raw, sweet corn trucked all the way, she swore, from New Jersey. Eat, eat, she said. Even if you don't, I'll say you did. Some things you know all your life. They are so simple and true. They must be said without elegance, meter, and rhyme. They must be laid on the table beside the salt shaker, the glass of water, the absence of light gathering in the shadows of picture frames. They must be naked and alone. They must stand for themselves. My friend Henri and I arrived at this together in 1965, before I went away, before he began to kill himself, and the two of us betrayed to betray our love. Can you taste what I'm saying? It is onions or potatoes, a pinch of simple salt, the wealth of melting butter. It is obvious. It stays in the back of your throat like a truth you never uttered, because the time was always wrong. It stays there for the rest of your life, unspoken, made of that dirt we call earth, 
the metal we call salts, in a form we have no words for, and you live on it. Man, saved us again. Simple truths. Well, that was like a podcast. Something resembling a podcast. Yeah. If you're still listening, we love you. If you listen, you. if you listen sometime in the future, I we love, love you, you too. <laughs> no, we both love you the same amount, considerably. I don't know. Maybe you do love him more. <laughs> <laughs> All right. Well, I know that the poor, the choices. The this one's sort of like Texas, so that's why I chose this one. Hi, Texosity. If in life you cannot find enough danger In the kitchen there will always be more danger The knives are hot and the cookie trays are baking In the nuker now the coconut oil boils the will for sure turn out crunchy. Just try not to set the parchment paper on fire. One life, one life, 
Don't go over the grave. One line, one line. One 